Hey everybody, hey everybody, how are you guys doing? I'm Colleen Fabry and this is Venture Europe. Venture Europe is a series of conversations with successful entrepreneurs, investors and ecosystem contributors where we discuss about the strategies, tactics, frameworks and failings that they have used and experienced during their journey. It is my personal vendetta to contribute in making Europe one of the most attractive entrepreneurial ecosystems in the world. Big words, hard work, so let's get started. This episode is brought to you by Vauban, the easiest way to launch and run your venture investing. An all-in-one integrated solution to form syndicates, VC funds and co-investment SPV programs that are built for the next generation of global ventures. From fundraising to exits, Vauban provides an automated back office that handles the legals, banking, investor onboarding and administration, which allows their clients to focus on what matters, finding the next unicorn and building investor relationships. Vauban has facilitated over $1 billion of capital invested in companies such as Revolut, Bolt and Airbnb, among others. Find out why funds like Antimus, Octopus Ventures and BackVC, just to name a few, are using Vauban by heading to vauban.io. And now, back to our guest. So excited about our guest today, Timu Toke, the founder and CEO of Ready Player Me. Ready Player Me is a cross-game avatar platform for the metaverse, and more than 4,000 companies use their avatars in their products. They recently announced their Series B of $56 million, led by A16Z, with participation from some iconic names like Roblox co-founder David Bazuki, King Games co-founder Sebastian Knutson and Ricardo, Zaconi and Twitch co-founder Justin Khan, among many others. Before building Ready Player Me, the young team has spent many years building avatar tech for enterprise customers like Tencent, Vodafone, Wargaming, H&M, and Huawei. During this episode, we discuss about grit and persistency, why you should play to win, and the importance of knowing your strengths. Please enjoy this excellent conversation with Timu Tuke, co-founder and CEO of Ready Player Me. Hello, good morning. Is it morning there or? Yeah, it's it's pretty much, it's like uh, 11.30. So I wake up super early, so it's kind of like uh, past midday for me. <laughs> I have a team in Europe, so I start my days very early. But uh, it's that first part of the day, kind of. First part of the day, got it. You're based in uh, New York? Yep, that's right. When did you move there? I moved like a year ago, a little bit less, a little bit more than a year ago. I'm originally from Estonia, moved to New York to work with a bunch of customers we have in the States. And also it's an awesome city and geographically it's, it's, it's located very well if you have, if you're European, have, have teams in Europe, but also need to cover the US. So it's kind of the time zone is, you know, seven hours. That's, that's not, not with Estonia, seven hours. So it's not, not too bad. If you wake up early, you can actually have a pretty, pretty kind of a big overlap, you know, with Europe. So I've also been based in LA and 10 hours uh, is a whole different game. So <laughs> New York is, 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 is great for that. And why did you decide to move from LA to New York? Yeah, so I was in LA for, for like, I moved there like five years ago. Then I was, I was back in Estonia when we were building a new product and COVID hit. Then I was, I was there. And then uh, why I moved back, this is like, you know, most of our customers in the US. 
when we scaled the business, which is now, you know, the kind of the sales and marketing teams, the developer relations teams, and all the kind of like customer facing teams, the kind of center of gravity will be in the US. So um, I'm here to build out those things. Also, you know, most of our investors are in the US and the investors we wanted to raise from when I moved uh, were in the US. So it's just in our business, it makes sense to be kind of like US focused, uh, but also spend uh, you know some time in, in Europe, in Estonia and uh, other places. So, but it's a good, good kind of a main base for me. Got it. And, and how do you like New York so far? So you lived in LA for a while, you moved to New York. How do you like it? I love New York. I think uh, it's an awesome city. So much energy for this phase of my life, you know, uh, where it's just all about building and scaling and uh, learning and going. It's a perfect place. I'm not sure if I would like to, uh, you know, grow up with my family in New York. Not sure. But uh, I don't have kids, by the way. I have a fiancé. But yeah, for now, for this phase of my life, it's the best place to be. And also for the business, it's the best place for me to be. So that's what it is. Which neighborhood are you in? I'm in Fidei, like in between Fidei and Tribeca in Manhattan. So close to the World Trade Center. So I can go to like walk to meetings most of the time, which is good and saves time. So forth. So uh, yeah, I'm happy. Let's jump in the, in the metaverse. I know that you're eager to talk about that. So what is the metaverse and how did we get here? The metaverse is a connected, it's like a network of connected virtual worlds, 3D worlds that people visit to play games, to hang out together, to learn, educate themselves, do different things together in a 3D virtual world. That is the metaverse for us. And what's important in the metaverse or for the metaverse to really exist is that the different virtual worlds and games and experiences need to be connected. They need to be interoperable. You need to be able to travel between worlds kind of seamlessly. It should, it should feel more like, you know, uh, using the internet, browsing through two different pages than, you know, having a thousand different closed ecosystems or apps or whatever that are their own thing. So, um, yeah. And people like spend a lot of time in the metaverse today through games. You know, there's 3 billion people that play games. 13 to 15-year-olds uh, spend more time, you know, hanging out with their friends in, in virtual worlds today than in real life, maybe. That's becoming a normal thing. So it's in one, for one sense, it's already here and people already spend a ton of time in the metaverse or in the virtual, in virtual worlds. But on the other side, all those worlds are kind of closed ecosystems. They're not interlinked. They're not connected. It doesn't feel like we have the metaverse. You know, it feels like we have a few games. And, you know, for the metaverse to really happen, those needs, words need to be connected. And that's why we are building what we're building uh, with Ready Pemi. Just to break that down, you would say, like, if you go into Roblox, you can be and sit in Roblox with some of the assets that you have there. But then if you go into another game, then you can be in that game. But there's no way actually to connect between all these virtual worlds. Yeah, exactly. In each world, you start your virtual world journey from scratch, create a new account, create a new avatar, buy new stuff. You know, like it's there's no no connections between them. And uh, yeah, that that's how the, the world works today. You hear the word or the term metaverse everywhere. Everyone is using it. Uh, Facebook just changed their name to the Meta Meta company. What do people often get wrong about the metaverse? I mean, there's like a few things depending on what angle you look at, look at this from. I think like, like I already mentioned for us, like the metaverse needs to be a connected, like it's a network of thousands of different virtual worlds. It's not one game, one platform, one app. You know, now everybody says they're a metaverse. Meta says they're the metaverse. Like nobody can be the internet, you know, like internet is like a collection of all those different 
you know, places essentially. So, uh, and, and the metaverse, it, it, you know, will be the same. <laughs> so I think there's no individual platform can ever, ever be at the metaverse with like a big, so anyways, that, that's, that's one of the things. I think the other thing is like, especially because of uh, meta, people think metaverse is VR. You know, it's not VR, but VR and AR and all this like different ways to experience virtual worlds are just going to make the metaverse even more compelling and even more fun and engaging and, and so forth. But they don't need to exist for the metaverse to exist. You know, kids, like I mentioned, you know, spend a lot of time in, in Roblox or yeah. So like they spend a lot of time in Roblox playing together through a phone, through a desktop that's already here today. You know, people spend a crazy amount of time in virtual worlds. I grew up, I played a lot of games, you know, and I'm 29. So this is, this has been true for a long time. The difference, like what, what's, what's changed is that kind of like the, the, the typical hardcore gamer world is changing into a more casual social media user kind of world. So, so like people don't go to the games to kind of like play a specific story and be like hardcore gamers. They go there because they want to hang out with their friends. And they kind of like the, the metaverse is the kind of the next generation of social media or a part of it, it is, is at least. So that's another thing. And, and also like crypto, Web3 is also uh, kind of usually connected with the metaverse. And it's kind of like it needs to exist for the metaverse. Like, it, again, it depends on the angle you, you want to take, take at this. But we don't think... The, the metaverse is kind of like a separate thing from Web3 in that sense. And Web3 can be kind of the technology or set of technologies that provide ownership in the metaverse. And it definitely comes with the philosophy of building more open and connected virtual worlds, which is important for the metaverse. So it plays a huge role, but it's not the metaverse. Like you don't have to have a crypto game for it to be a part of a bigger virtual world or something like that. So... I don't know. I was just rambling about different topics here, but <laughs> hopefully I answered the question at least partially. No, I mean, uh, it's super interesting, right? Because you tried to define it. And actually, I also kind of wrote, I tried to build a thesis, right, on Web3. But then you're like, what is Web3? How does the metaverse play into it? How does crypto play into it? And most of the people that say crypto, they think about speculation or tokens was like crypto comes from cryptography right which comes from blockchain which is like a very very secure way to transmit information so like all these trends all the structural trends you kind of see them coming together and also like when you talk about like the virtual world i like the analogy of starbucks when the ceo started starbucks it was because he saw there is this third place next to home and work that the italians go to so I think now we'll have like this third place, we'll have like the, the metaverse. So it's very interesting. And did you study the metaverse at university? No, <laughs> I didn't. I studied computer science for a little bit and then graduated business actually. I uh, dropped out from computer science and like started the company at the same time as like going to the business school. And you started like very, very early, like in 2014. So just for some context, in, in 2014, Apple launched the um, Apple Watch. Apple bought also uh, Beats. Facebook bought WhatsApp, but also they bought Oculus. So what was actually the insight that you had like nine years ago that this is going to be a thing and for you to start actually Ready Player Me? Yeah, so I mean, you know, for background, first, I grew up playing a lot of games, RuneScape to be specific. So it's kind of obvious that... Virtual worlds are interesting. My first kind of hustle was selling RuneScape Gold to other kids in school. 
So I was kind of like always interested in the whole kind of space because of that. And then like before 2014, 3D treated printing really became a big thing. And then, uh, you know, I bought some printers, started printing stuff, so just messing around with 3D printing, figuring out if we could build something around that. Then 3D printing led to 3D scanning. So we had like, you know, started scanning objects, like stuff like that. Then we started scanning people, like trying to scan people. So we had some like background in all the like 3D stuff. And when Oculus was was acquired by Facebook, actually, one of the events you mentioned, we realized that VR is probably going to be a thing. VR is going to be social because Facebook bought it. And, you know, in VR, the way you speak with another person, you connect with another person is through an avatar. And, uh, you know, creating an avatar that resembles yourself or is like any in any way kind of like not just a cartoon was like no way possible back then, you know, and it's still like not hard. It's still hard. So, uh, so, and that, that's, that was kind of like when we started, it was like, okay, Oculus is going to be a thing. Avatars have a big future. We have some background in scanning. Let's try to make scanning possible first and then like uh, make scanning easy for people. And then like, just kind of make it easy for anyone in the world to create an avatar of themselves. And then it started from hardware, you know, building a scanner with like a like hundred cameras, you know, like a big studio, then uh, making that studio into a smaller kind of photo booth shaped kind of thing. And we had like this photo booths in like airports and um, museums and stuff like that. And we scanned tens of, tens of thousands of people with like our kind of portable scanners. Then made that, made that into like a software only solution using the database we collected. So we took all the faces we collected, built a deep learning solution around that and deep learning, which is just coming, coming out as well, like becoming usable. So we used the face database um, to build the kind of selfie to avatar conversion tech and built that into an SDK and started selling that to big game, game developers mostly. So we work with like, Tencent and Huawei and HTC and Vodafone and Verizon and, and many others. So not just games, but telcos and H&M, like whatever. So, and what ended up happening is that we kind of started selling the SDK, which just converted the avatar from a selfie to uh, an, an avatar in different styles. And what the companies needed was the entire avatar system around that. So like the bodies, body types, hair, all this stuff around that, that you need to build the entire avatar system. So we ended up custom building that and we ended up custom building like dozens of different avatar systems over four years and then eventually, you know, dropped that business and built Ready Me. And we were in a perfect position to do, to do that because we had built, you know, many different avatar systems over many different years for different game engines and we really understood what developers need. And when we launched Ready Me, then it like really took up. So I, I guess I uh, slided into the history a little bit as well. <laughs> no, I mean, I love it. And also like you guys build like a, a true moat, I guess, right? After having so many real faces transformed to an avatar with the hardware solution. But do you remember like the day that you went to Casper and how did you match like your co-founders? Did you guys just like, hey, let's just go and let's just kind of scan all these faces because we need some avatars. Yeah, we have four co-founders. And Casper, I know since I was like, I don't know, 11 or 12. Uh, we did bands together with Casper when we were growing up. So uh, we met uh, when we were kids. And the other one of the other co-founders, CTO Reiner, from the same city with me, we know for also a long time. And then the fourth one I met, I met in your in university. It was like a natural evolution of things. It was like messing around with different stuff from 3D printing to scanning things to like, wow, okay, let's print, build a scanner. I don't remember the day when we like uh, figured out we should do that, but it was just like, okay, like what else can we do? Like what else can we do that is valuable, could be valuable, that is cool to build? 
and you know we were kids right 20 i guess 21 maybe kids from nowhere that knew nothing about nothing that's what i always always say <laughs> so it was a lot of a lot of learning you know on the way so but it was it was yeah it was just uh many iterations and then staying focused on uh, on solving the kind of general problem but i can't remember where, where it exactly started got it and was there at any point a revelation like shit i think we're on to something or the opposite did you have any moments where you kind of doubted that this might not work out actually yeah yeah there were like a few moments that we were like okay this is like happening and most of the first ones were like not actually happening <laughs> it's like the young founder that like completely overestimates their uh product market fit and uh you know gets a few press articles and you're like oh my god this, this is amazing but uh, it's actually not so anyways we had some like false starts for sure i think like the, the the moment where it like became more real was when we started building those kind of enterprise avatar systems and licensing our avatar tech and custom building this stuff around that it wasn't a scalable business but um it was cash flow positive we were growing you know we had uh, a lot of big customers and that was like the first moment where I was like, okay, like we actually built the business that is uh, a business. And then, uh, and with the book, you know, it was it wasn't scaling fast enough, so we we decided to drop that business and build Ready Pay Me. And when we launched Ready Pay Me, then it was like quite obvious from the very beginning that this is like going places. You know, it was like people were hitting us up everywhere. They were like, you know, you could there there's a very strong pull from developers. And yeah, and then it was like also like after having built this for a long time, you're like, oh my god, are we are we overestimating this? Like, are we? Is that real? Is it like real product market fit? Like, it sure feels like this. Then it was a, a period of like just trying to figure out if like um, how legit that is and if it will scale and all that stuff. But yeah, with Ready Pay Me, it was it was very um, all of the typical kind of signs of um, uh, strong product market fit were there kind of very early. But after six years of building out there, you know, so we really knew what we were doing when we built the first version of Ready Play Me. And like, that's the real mode, you know, we had, we became experts in, in something that now is obviously very valuable you know, over the years of doing that when it wasn't obvious that it will be valuable. So I'm not sure if it's a good strategy I would recommend to a friend <laughs> grinding for six years and waiting for the market to you know, get there. But uh, that's our past. What was the tinkering? that you continue to do with a product, with a company, when you're thinking that you have product market fit, but actually you hadn't? And what, what kept you going for six years? What was like the motivation for you and the team? Yeah, I mean, like we built a new product every year, basically. So like from, from the hardware days to then like we first built a software solution that took like, you know, 20 photos, tried to scan a person, make a realistic avatar. Then we built like this kind of deep learning solution for one photo. Then we built some consumer apps ourselves to learn and understand what people want in avatars. We built like chat roulette with avatars, you know, like, I don't know. It was just like trying to be, be better, trying to become, trying to just be better every, every year, every month, whatever. And what kept us going, it was just like, you know, it was so obvious for us that avatars are like such an important part of the whole like, virtual world experience and, and metaverse experience. I can't remember how many times I was like, oh, 2018, watch it, guys. This is going to be the year of the Avatar. <laughs> you know, but uh, it wasn't 2018. It, was, it wasn't 2019 either. 
2021 first probably properly the year of the avatar but it was like you could see it coming you know it, it was closer every year like we were closer with the product and and the market was closer everything was moving kind of in the right direction like we initially made a made it made a bet on vr which obviously didn't happen as fast as people expected so that was a kind of um uh you know that was like a I can't find a word uh, disappointing i guess but then we found another target and we realized how this could be used and in multiple or many other places and uh yeah so it was just a, again we're pretty persistent i think <laughs> we're like quite determined so uh that's uh that could be good or bad you know uh it could be bad because you can just keep on doing something that just has no absolutely no hope and there's very hard to say in the end six months of the fourth year, you know, if, uh, if there's a uh, real hope or not. So for the entrepreneurs listening right now, like if I will have to come like from a third position and try to understand like, why were you successful in the end is because you were maybe attacking like a market that is big enough, but it, it was also like the adoption rate maybe was not there yet. So you were being persistent, but towards the same market from different angles. Would you say that that's correct? Or, and you were kind of bound to like to be better and to get the learnings and the insights. Yes. We were like so certain that this is like going to happen. And and so it was like obvious for us to just keep trying, keep building. And like, you know, it was like we, we did deals with big companies. It was exciting to build all those things. Like it was it was fun too. And we got like a bunch of acquisition offers like over the years. So like outer tech itself was obviously valuable, but it wasn't obvious on how to build something that can, you know, be a 10 or a hundred billion company or maybe more, you know? Uh, so, and I guess like uh, the market wasn't ready. We were not ready as founders as well. Like we need to learn a lot. And, uh, but yeah, like we, we kept, uh, kept on going and, and now we have to have a chance to build something big. And what is Ready Players Me role in the future of the metaverse, the way from your vantage point? So, I mean, our goal is to break down virtual worlds to build a more connected virtual world. And we do that by building a cross-game avatar platform that anyone can use to travel with their avatars across many different virtual worlds. You know, the metaverse, as we, as we discussed, is not a single app. It's a network of thousands of worlds. So it makes sense for you to have an avatar that travels across worlds, becomes your digital identity that kind of carries your digital assets, NFTs, and so forth around the different worlds. And, you know, that is just naturally kind of the center of your metaverse experience. And it makes sense that it's persistent across worlds. And, and that's the first first thing we're focused on, you know, building that, that avatar, that tech that makes the avatars travel, building the open marketplace of avatar skins and avatar NFTs and assets exists across all these different worlds we work with, different games and, and experiences we work with, which is almost 4,000 companies now that use our avatars. So that's 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 kind of like what we do, and our, our goal is to be the kind of default avatar. Maybe actually not the default avatar, but default way you use your avatar across many many different worlds. That that's what we want to be as ready, with Ready Player Me. And there's a lot of other things we can do to break down virtual worlds uh, besides avatars too. That's the thing we're focused on at the moment. Got it. And also, like you just recently raised from A16Z, how does it feel to get the validation to get investment from? actually one of the founders of the first web browsers. How does it feel after working at it for nine years, pivoting so many times? Yeah, it feels awesome. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, all the, the theory of like, just keep on going and like, you know, don't, 
just like learn every day, just like work hard. All this thing, like kind of be like given an, enough time, like it, it seems that it's like it makes sense. And that's the thing you tell yourself over this, all these years. It's like, just keep on going, be determined, you know, do your best. So it's, it's, it, it is very awesome to, to be here. But also we understand that now is now the real work starts. You know, now we have like fought for the opportunity to build something. Now it's all only us that can uh, be the blocker, <laughs> you know. And obviously there's the market, there's things we don't control, but uh, it's time to build, you know. Um, so, but it feels great. That was like, existency uh, has always been like for me personally, like the top fund. I, you know, wanted to work with. So um, it was amazing to make the deal happen. But also, like, once you get to the place where you start being closer to, you know, actually being able to do that deal, like, you kind of know, <laughs> you know. So it's definitely it's definitely great. But, uh, yeah, you, you feel that uh, when it's happening. Do you remember the meeting when it became clear to you that A16Z will invest? It was a moment where it's like a, a meeting room, a video call dinner uh it was dinner yeah well it was like actually lunch was where it was kind of clear dinner was when we agreed yeah i do remember it it was amazing <laughs> it was great but obviously like you know there's a there's a lead up to that so like you you pretty much know already that you're, you're doing this you know when you're at the dinner because like you you've done all this work before gone through the whole process you know you've done a lot of background research and like you know where people are with things so yeah it's not like a, a complete surprise in that sense but um it was definitely awesome and yeah getting term sheet getting it done and then going through the process of due diligence and everything yeah that was yeah it was great i'm happy let's get personal in closing you just told me that uh, you had some um, sashimi yesterday and you couldn't actually sleep that well during the night. So thank you very much for doing this anyway. I was wondering, like, how do you deal with bad days? I remember actually you saying, just get some coffee and let's go. Because I would assume that you do have some bad days as well as a CEO. I don't know. Like, you just deal with it. I mean, sometimes you just need to take, like, a little bit of time to, like, think and read. I think reading is, for me, it's like... A a great uh, way to reorder my mind. I think that's that's what I do when I'm like completely like lost or slammed or overwhelmed. But, you know, you get used to it. Like you're overwhelmed all the time. There's so much stuff going on all the time. Sometimes this stuff is bad. Sometimes it's good. For me personally, like um, it's much easier to manage the bad things, honestly. Like this is just like, okay, it's a problem. Like I will figure out what to do. We'll just like, do our best and to solve that problem versus like when things are going well and you know you're raising funding and you're closing big deals and like you're doing things that are just super exciting then that that's actually also hard that's also stressful in that sense and like i personally haven't fully figured out how to manage that part so uh there's there's two two parts there's like the downsides and the upsides but it's all very overwhelming and um and intense but uh i think if you're doing this just for the right reasons then like that's exactly what you signed up for so uh you know there's some enjoyment in this pain as well but yeah it's it's a, it's, a, it's a marathon so it's necessary to uh pace yourself and when you're very excited uh, about things then it's very hard to pace yourself because it's the only thing you want to do all the time <laughs> you know so um well actually one thing that really changed the game for me I think or, or was a big contributor was uh, 
stoicism. So um, I, I read uh, Marcus Aurelius' meditations, I think like five years ago, maybe six years ago, I can't remember. And you know, since then, I've read all the ancient kind of stoic writings, books, stuff that is out there. And you know, that's kind of like my, uh, uh, that's what I strive towards, but um, nowhere close to being a real stoic. But uh, I think this is a good mindset for an entrepreneur, just uh, dealing with things, doing your best, focused on, you know, the effort and, and doing your best work. Yeah. So I think like those things help. Meditation helps for sure. Working out helps. Eating healthy helps. So you can do things like that to generally kind of like uh, be more uh, resilient. But um, yeah, there's no cure. It's going to be hard. It's going to be intense and it's going to be overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> you know but uh i think that's like awesome it's a marathon pace yourself i like that and what is what is the best and worst advice you have received yeah i mean like the worst advice is like kind of like the like be careful like you know like just don't like you know you you know duh, those are big companies you can't they compete with them like i don't know be careful take it easy don't you know like all this stuff is like not good advice <laughs> and that's like that's a lot of it in small smaller countries in like the european eco ecosystem you know people don't really think think big they don't like play to win you know they're like almost like playing to like not die that is not good that is not good advice but of course if you're like people are market fit do you see this type of mindset also in the investors european investors and american investors yes so i mean it, it's mostly like you know smaller angels that haven't gone through a big kind of a tech, you know, like a startup exit themselves, more traditional kind of background people, maybe small funds that have never, don't have partners that have like actually got built something kind of big or have been involved or seen or are in the mindset of building something big. There's a lot of them, you know, and then they're like, you know, this kind of play to not die and not play to win. That's not good. And Yeah, and there's a there's a there's a balance, right? It's like you your pre product market fit, your biggest enemy is like time. You need to have time. You need to be conscious with maximizing your runway and, and, and like being not scaling too early and stuff like that. But it's just the mindset of like not playing to win. That's not good. And the best advice that's also like dangerous advice sometimes, right? It's just like you need to know when to do what, I guess. I'm blanking on best advice. There's a lot of like amazing advice I've received from multiple different, like a lot of different people over the years, but it's like kind of specific to things. Yeah. What's the most impactful advice you have received? So one of the things is, which is very obvious, but uh, like you need to really understand what your strengths are and your, your team's strengths are. And like, we were like trying to go against our strengths for a while. Like we were like, okay, we're going to build this like deep tech uh, company, avatar deep tech. We're going to make avatars, like build deep demos to create avatars, which we've done. And like, we're going to compete with like the best people in the world and the biggest companies in the world. And we're going to be the best avatar deep tech company. Well, I am not a scientist, <laughs> so it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's no way. <laughs> like if the CEO or like the founders are not, like the top scientists of the world in the space. And, you know, like then it's just not going to happen. You know, like it's going to be people that get paid like, you know, one or two, five million dollars a year. They're like doing science that are like dedicate their lives on, on this and like big companies that are like do that or in research and like just, there's no way to compete with them. So like, 
and, and we were like kind of like going in the wrong path for a while with that. And we had like most of the team was data, data like data scientists. So but when we realized what we were really good at is like building a product, building something that is easy to use, building great developer tools, building kind of like end-to-end solution, working with developers, like that, that's like what we do well. And that was like uh, one of the points where we started moving away from the kind of enterprise licensing, kind of like SDK licensing and stuff like that. And we moved towards like building a full product for developers, uh, which then like became, yeah, already per me or like that's where we decided to, that's what we ended up deciding to build. And it was a very specific uh, meeting. I remember when I, when I spoke with one of our advisors and it was like kind of making it very obvious. Um, so that's, that's one of the, one of the ones I can remember now. So know thyself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and if Timo from 10 years ago would listen to this episode, what would you tell him? I don't know. Just keep going, man. Just fucking keep going. It's, it's going to be fine. <laughs> Just like keep grinding. It'll all, um, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's probably, um, he's just fine. You know, he's finding his way 10 years ago, but, uh, keep grinding and uh, it'll be, it'll be good. Everything will be okay. It's like grinding is like grinding as in like just working extremely hard is not smart unless you learn from it too. And like you actually, you know, improve, uh, with your operations, but yeah, you just need to put in, put into work. And it depends on your background. Like if you come from a top city, go to a top university, get the top network right away, like you need to grind less, but like you need to grind it before to get to those places in the first place, I guess. But, um, you know, like you can get plugged into, um, into a network and into, uh, into the world in a, in a, in a, in a, in a better spot in that sense. But if you're like, if you need to learn all those things yourself, then it just takes a lot of grinding. Love that. Grind, but make sure that you kind of learn from all the iterations that you're doing, because if not, then probably it's pointless. Yeah, that's right. Timo, thank you very much for taking uh, the time to speak with us. I know that you have to uh, jump now, but thank you very much for taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. 